This podcast includes discussion of materials surrounding trauma, and we acknowledge that the content may be difficult. As always, we encourage you to practice good soul care and reach out to someone if you need support. Welcome to the Mindful Marriage Podcast. I'm Tara Wiedemeyer, Licensed Professional Counselor, and I'm joined by... My name is Brock Yonke, and I'm the Lead Care and Support Pastor at Hope Fellowship, and we are excited to be here today for the Mindful Marriage Podcast. So exciting. Yes, we are. And this is a super special episode, Mm. maybe the next two episodes, but Brock has so graciously um, and vulnerably signed up to be really transparent and share some of his story so y'all can kind of see some of the behind the scenes stuff as far as how this stuff plays out over the course of our lives, um, how it can impact our marriage and how unresolved or just these negative or traumatic experiences can impact us even when we're not aware. Yeah, I think the reason that I wanted to do this at least was Part one is to destigmatize the process of dealing with these things that it's not so so horrible. It's actually freeing, and it's it's not so scary that we often make it out to be. And also to realize that all of us probably have some things we need to continue to work on for all of our lives. I've done a lot of work in these areas, but still know that there's a lot of work to do. And I just want to give you a compliment, Tara, if I could, to start off the podcast today. Okay. So it's been, it was interesting as we started working on this. Uh, Terry, you're pretty good at what you do. I mean, I, I walked out of our – we had a, a session where I started to dig through some things, and I walked out feeling pretty light and pretty good about life. And so I just wanted to say congratulations, kudos to you for being <laughs> such a good therapist. Congratulations to you. Well, no, you did all the work. I just talked. Well, I'm just there to, like, you know, help you navigate it. But that's the thing is this takes – it's not fun or easy, but and it takes a lot of courage, and it's hard work a lot of times, but – the reward of that and when we get to the other side and sometimes before we even get there, just that freedom that comes with it, some of the relief and symptoms that we feel or the you know, less harsh criticisms we throw at ourselves, it's just that makes it so worth it. Yeah, totally. And I'm, I'm anxious to learn your insights about all the things that I had to say and, and uh, see if I can learn and grow from that too. So here we okay, go. This here is we so go. Exciting. So like Rock says, we want to kind of destigmatize what this could look like. And, you know, each therapist is going to kind of do it their own way. Um, and there's different routes that we can take. Um, I practice EMDR, which stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Oh, good. Because I, yeah. I thought it was... Uh, like you were claiming yourself to be a doctor, like, mm, doctor. Oh, gosh. Anyways, so um, EMDR, it is, it's not just used for trauma work. Um, it can be used for lots of different things, but it is used for trauma work. And um, I use it every day, and I love it. And it's got its own lingo, and it's got um, protocols that you follow. It's got different phases. And so... If you were going to do that type of work, um, they would, the therapist would walk through what that looks like, and there's some. I don't want to say pre work, but it kind of, like before you get to the the actual like I, what I call like the sexy part of EMDR, where you're reprocessing and using bilateral simulation. That's what I. That's um, the way I say it too. The old bilateral, <laughs> whatever. Um, there's stuff that you have to do to you know. There's a the history taking part, and you definitely have to have rapport and trust. Um, I think that's so important to have that built up with your client so they can trust you in this process because it can feel overwhelming. It can feel 
like very strange and uncomfortable at times. Um, but what I found is a lot of times people get pretty comfortable with the process itself, not necessarily the material we're working with, but after a session or two or three, you know, they're, they're telling me what they need and they're starting to use the lingo themselves and that kind of stuff. And that's pretty cool. So, um, anyways, EMDR, love it. But before we kind of start that, I, I always check for trauma, even if people aren't coming in specifically for that. That's part of my intake process is I'm checking for anything that looks like or smells like trauma, even if they're not calling it that. Um, and there's different assessments and resources I use to do that. Some of the ones I use most frequently and that Brock filled out so he could kind of just see where he was at. We do the ACE quiz, which is um, like the ad- it's the Adverse Childhood Experiences quiz. It's 10 questions. It's for the first 18 years of your life. And depending on your score, so since there's only 10, you answer yes or no. And each one, if it's a yes, that's that you that's um one point. I don't mm-hmm. want to say points, but you it adds up. So because there's so few questions, but they they're significant events listed. The higher the score, higher the risk of that person experiencing different things like whether it be divorce, child, like obesity in children, mental health issues, shame. So the higher the score, the more impact it has on your current – is that what you're saying? The more impact your, it has on your current situation? Yes, your life and your functioning, absolutely. And so there's a lot of research that comes just from this assessment. Um but anyway, so that's one of the things that we use. And we're going to get into that. Are we going to dive into that one now? Or we, Do you want to dive into that I, one now? I, I or? think it'd be fine to dive into okay. that one now. But I just want to say, too, as the participant, th- thinking about taking this ACE quiz, it was not difficult. It wasn't like this horrible experience. I guess everybody's going to be different, but I just felt it more of an insightful kind of a, a look into my life. And so it wasn't some overwhelming, daunting task to take this quiz. And so Tara just literally handed me this paper and, and told me the, those instructions, and I filled it out. So pretty easy thing to do. Yeah. And they're they're very straightforward. Like I said, 10 questions. Now, depending on where people are at and what's going on, I mean, it, I, it can be triggering just answering those or, you know, it could bring up some shame. But they are, again, just yes or no. And you don't have to go into detail at this point on those. And again, that's between you and the therapist, but how the, that kind of goes. But the questions really, <clears throat> if I'm losing my voice here, the questions really give you insight into it's like to think because you hear some people say, "Hey, you need to dig into your past, delve in your past to bring healing to the future." And you're just kind of like, well, "What?" And these questions are very targeted that help you get to those areas, and so it helps you get there a lot faster. It was really helpful. So Brock scored a three. Okay, and I have his permission to share that. Um, he scored a three, and the ones that he answered yes to. Do you want to go into those? Or? Yeah, go ahead. So, and th- this way y'all can even see what the questions kind of, well, what they are. Did you often feel that no one in your family loved you or thought you were important or special, or your family didn't look out for each other, feel close to each other, or support each other? Oh, he answered yes to that one. The next one was, or is, were, were your parents ever divorced or separated? And he answered yes. And then the last one he answered yes to was, did you live with anyone who was a problem drinker or al- alcoholic or who used street drugs? So he had a score of three. So a lot of times people, based on that, like they might know, like these are issues that I know are still, or these are events um, that happen that like maybe still have some power in my life 
or continuously negatively impacting me. They may know that. They may not know that when you do that. And so depending on people, where they are in their journey already, their awareness, what they're coming in to work on, you know, that's why, again, this is up to you and your therapist because there may need to be work done just from this alone um, or it's just like to get you guys on the same page and so the therapist can better ascertain like where to go from there. Yeah, and and as I look back at that, um, in my early years of life, I was probably third grade-ish, I think, when my parents were divorced. And just that was such a a tough experience, I think, for a lot of ways, because it felt like I was the first of my friends. Eventually, a lot of friends that had their parents divorced, but it felt like I was the first of those. And so that made me feel like I stood out or something was extra wrong with me. Um, and it had a lot of impact because I didn't understand. And then I've always been a person that blames myself for a lot of things. And so I even thought, okay, this is my fault. Like I caused this divorce to happen. If I could have been a better kid, if I could have not mm-hmm. done this or done that. So it caused a lot of hurt. And so I know that that's had a lot of impact uh, on my life. And so, uh, and then it was just so difficult to navigate through those emotions and knowing that, as I've discovered later, that when people get divorced, obviously it affects them. And so it's hard for them to think, oh, now I need to care for all these other people when they're in that hurt. And so realizing I was navigating a lot of these emotions alone. uh, And my mom even tried to get me to go to therapy. And at the time, for me, or maybe just culture, that was so seen as like, man, something's really wrong with you if you're going to therapy. And so I went a couple times and just said, you know, just raised a big fit, said, I'm not going again. I will not go because I am not going to prove to the world that something's wrong with me. And so looking back, I wish I would have continued that because it probably would have helped me navigate those emotions so much better. But instead, I chose to just bottle them up and deal with things my own way. And so I I really look back on that and think, man, I wish I would have processed earlier because it really does have a lot of effects. So I knew that was a big – so out of those three things, I think that was the one that had the most impact on my childhood because I just set so many different – thoughts and then not having that. And my dad moved away. uh, And so I saw him a couple times a year. And so all those things that went along with that, I think that caused a lot of of struggle for me as a kid. The other two were kind of periphery issues, but that divorce issue, I think, was really the one that hit, hit home pretty hard. Yeah. And as we kind of talked about that, because that kind of set the stage for some of the stuff that followed, and we'll kind of show y'all how that played out. But I think... Well, first of all, thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing that yep. for real. Um, when we have an experience like that and we don't get to fully process it or in the in a healthy way or, you know, we do the best we can with what we have and where we're at, sometimes there's still stuff there mm-hmm. that impacts us. And a lot of times we don't even know what that is, but it's if we never tend to that wound and fully heal it, then when other things happen down the road, um, it's like trauma finds trauma. It's those pieces of us where we maybe we doubt ourselves or we don't feel good enough or we feel faulty impact the way we see the world and other people and our experiences and determine without our awareness, like, if we're safe or this person is safe or 
you know, where kind of like where we fit into the story. And that's not always accurate or in the best light either, you know? Because if you're filtering everything through those messages, then you can develop ways to deal with those feelings, right? Like you develop coping mechanisms Mm -hmm. that may or may not be healthy. But in a lot of ways, as I look back, they kept me safe, at least as I felt like this is, I'm not going to be wounded by this again. So I would either uh, break off friendships or relationships early, uh, do some things just to protect myself because I didn't want to go back to that pain. And I felt like those were healthy ways instead of learning how to maybe navigate through. And just because we had one difficult conversation or one thing didn't go well, didn't mean that it was over, but I just didn't know how to navigate. So I spent a lot of my early years, even college years, just navigating through that lens. Like if I felt pain, the the best choice was to get away from that pain. Because obviously, if it was going to be a godly friendship, godly relationship, everything's going to be perfect. And if there was going to be any difficulty, that meant that I don't want to go back because I'm not mm-hmm. going to do that again. And so I'd, I'd run away. I'd break things off. And yeah. so often times would hurt people and didn't even realize I was hurting people. I was just protecting myself and had no idea the pain because I, I couldn't see beyond myself. I didn't realize I was causing pain in other people because yeah. I was just protecting myself. Well, and a lot of times, you know, when people look back and they start realizing like, oh, this is I've been calling this like trust issues or commitment issues or just being really like having high standards for other people. And they they might say something just like what you said just now. And they might have guilt or shame or embarrassment uh, even about that, how they behaved or what they did. And my thing is this. we Obviously, we have to take responsibility for our behavior and how we've lived our life. But if this is outside of our conscious awareness or we're acting out of a protective mechanism, we're designed to do some of these things not the unhealthy things, but to protect ourselves and to feel safe and not in danger. All right, so we're going to switch gears a little bit now and just um, go back to kind of the resources and tools that are sometimes used in trauma therapy. So other than EMDR and the ACE quiz, I use a dissociative experience scale because trauma and dissociation are like first cousins, and it happens a lot. And so there needs to be um, education on that, some awareness made, and oftentimes stabilization has to happen because you can do EMDR with somebody who is dissociative, but it can also be harmful. So they have to even be aware that they're doing it. They need to know how to ground themselves and stabilize. And then sometimes we even need to do that during an EMDR session. And the quiz to take this was very easy to take. And it just was looking at, is this something that you are experiencing, that something's going on in your life? And so, again— And how often are and how you? often. Not a scary thing at all. Very easy to do. Uh, at least from my experience, I can't speak for everyone. From my experience, it was very helpful just to see if that's uh, an area that uh, is something that's going on in my life. Yeah. And a lot of times when I do that with people, they're like, I didn't even know that's what this was. you know. And so, sometimes that points to some more severe, severe things going on, and sometimes it's just— Again, another tool used just to make sure we're on the same page and that EMDR is going to be a good fit for this person. Um, another thing we do are um, would be to uh, identify negative or limiting beliefs that the person um, associate with certain memories or events, and sometimes they aren't able to do that quite yet. But we identify those because that's part of the EMDR process as well is having – we're going to target one of those negative or limiting beliefs and then a, a trauma timeline. And this is this is not in the order that I do these things. Um, a trauma timeline would be where we 
literally draw out a timeline and list all of their like just big life events, even if it's not something that needs to be processed or reprocessed, but it helps with connecting dots and to see maybe how things rolled out the way they did. And so trauma would go on there, big life events, anything that would be an adverse experience or they feel that needs, you know, they they keep getting triggered by it or stuck. And so going from there, then we add those well, can beliefs I say, can, I say, can I say something about the timeline mm-hmm. real quick? I felt the timeline was really helpful because it was putting down on a piece of paper these experiences I had and so helped me start to connect the dots of maybe how I got to where I got on some of those negative beliefs, even going back and just seeing that some of those events maybe had that I've just not dealt with, that they did have an impact. And so it was like gave myself a little grace in looking at those events and realizing, oh, those were tough. I can see why someone would come out of those events and have some negative limiting limiting beliefs. And so I felt that was very freeing. And also I felt that it showed me some patterns Mm-hmm. Like, here's what I typically do in these responses. So it gave me an awareness of how I respond a little bit today because I started to see some patterns of how I typically responded to these situations throughout my life. So I thought the timeline was, was super, yeah. super I think, helpful. I think the timeline is a great tool. Um, I use it even on non-EMDR clients. And so um, just to kind of clean that up and put that in an order that might make sense, someone comes in and we do you know a history intake um, and then, and sometimes before they even come in as part of their intake paperwork, I I might send them the ACE questionnaire. Um, and if I don't do it, then I'll do it at the beginning. Um, then we do the dissociative experiences, if especially if we know we're going to move towards EMDR. And then the timeline and the beliefs, we those kind of go together, and we just kind of I utilize those at the same time um, and bounce back and forth depending on what the person needs. Yep. So that's just kind of how um, that looks um, in a very big overview nutshell. Um, and then we're going to get into what Brock kind of found out and identified from doing some of this based on some of his experiences. So he said like the, his parents' divorce probably had the most impact on his childhood. And then going forward, you know, we were talking and – just kind of building that timeline out and I'm going to let him share about this. Um, But something he identified that we were going to, this is where we were going to hang out and break it down was um, he experienced some bullying um, in school from middle school through high school. And I'm going to let him share a little bit and then we'll go from there. Yeah. So it's funny how this, these events have loomed in my brain and in my heart ever since those moments and never fully processed them probably like I should. But in in middle school, I grew up in a rural setting and I wasn't, you know, nothing was wrong. People were into hunting and fishing and all that kind of stuff. And those were things that just, man, I, you know, I wanted to play sports and uh, even read books and had a, a drawing toward God theology a little bit. And so that wasn't really fitting in that community. So I always felt um, and alcohol was a large part of that community, even starting in middle school. And I just didn't feel like those were things I was drawn to. And so I always felt like an outsider. So throwing the divorce felt like an outsider, throwing all those factors felt like an outsider. And then I think 
boys being boys to some degree and me not handling it well. I just felt like I continued to be an outsider from from the guys that I uh, went to school with and felt like, in, if anything, I was kind of a whipping boy to some degree uh, if things didn't go well. And, and I just remember hating that experience and then doing some things, either lashing out in anger toward them or isolating. I tend to go toward those two things and just felt like it was a really tough period of life for for a lot of years and looking back and just feeling like I didn't belong, didn't fit, something was wrong with me for a long, long time uh, all throughout high school until really I got to college, felt like just a complete outsider and felt like I didn't didn't belong, especially in that rural setting and just wanted to flee and get away from that as quickly as I could. Yeah. So that was a tough time. And so some of the things that we were able to pull out of that, well, he said he felt like an outsider, but that he found safety and security in his youth group, especially his youth pastor, Marty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Church was a big part of the feeling comfort. Yes. And that his mom and his sister felt safe and that sports were a a good and healthy outlet for him. And so some of the things that I think have helped Brock and what he, I mean, he agreed with this, um, and just his ability to feel unique and seen and celebrated were the things that we just mentioned. But it is so important to have those those pillars of support, whether that's, you know, a church or a youth group or your certain family members or a youth leader or your best friend or a teacher, you know. And when we have those support pieces put in, even in the midst of adversity or traumatic stress, we can still it helps us to keep going yeah and for it not to be it could be way more intensely impacting sometimes and so when we have those things in place it is hugely helpful not just for children but even adults and so i think that's why you know community is so important whatever that means to you you know it doesn't have to be a church setting but we need support period, but especially when we're going through really hard stuff, it's a game changer. Yeah. So because of Tara, I've been reading some books recently about the brain and how uh, it, it impacts and our past impacts us. And one of the things I keep hearing these authors say is that community is such a vital aspect of the healing process. And so one of the things that I often picture as I look back on my childhood is I, I picture like being like in a sandbox and being in that sandbox and, and kind of playing by myself and feeling very much like maybe maybe I'm not wanted at other places and just feeling as I look back on that picture, I don't know if it was a mental thing or God gave, gave me some comfort, but just picturing as I went throughout life, seeing a few select people that were able to come into that sandbox and play that were super safe and super um, like understanding and super supportive. And just looking back on those people and knowing the impact they made on my journey, like thinking about, you know, my mom coming into that sandbox and just being so supportive and thinking about my youth pastor, Marty walking in that sandbox and just saying, Hey, you're okay. Those were messages I didn't really hear as a kid. And just to think back at that, that community Walking into that moment, I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional here, but walking into that moment 
and uh, just letting letting this kid know that he was okay. Yeah, I'm so so grateful for those people. So sorry. No, don't apologize. I think I love that that visual. Um, and that's. But had you not had those people, you yeah. like using that visual, you would have been alone in that sandbox, and that's heartbreaking. Yeah, you know. But I think so many people do feel alone in this, and. When we do this kind of work, I mean, even before people start, I mean, this can be, when you feel like this, sometimes it feels easier just to isolate or withdraw. Yeah. Safer. It, it, yeah. It definitely feels yeah. safer. But that is one of those unhealthy coping mechanisms. And it's so cool to get to see people learn to start trusting safe people again and to use your metaphor like bring them into their sandbox you yeah, know and think but about, that's a scary thing to do it is and to think about <clears throat> my wife alicia walking into that sandbox i can very much picture her walking in there and as you go through life there's conflict there's things that you don't agree on and uh man you can see a coping me- mechanism would be to either try to control hey if you're going to be in the sandbox you're going to behave this way or if you're not going to be in the behave this way if you're going to hurt me at all then I'm leaving or you're leaving. And so it's so easy when you start to feel that pain or maybe even sense of someone saying you're wrong. It's so easy to walk into those old patterns of behavior. And again, you have no idea what you're doing. You're just reacting to past hurts. And so you're just trying to respond in a way that, like I said earlier, to protect yourself, to mm-hmm. uh, make sure that you're okay. Yeah. Well, Brock, thank you so much for your vulnerability and your transparency. Um See, I told you Tara was a good therapist. This was all you, man. Oh, no. This was all you. No, because like you said something earlier, being in a place, and that's why therapy to me, and I know I continue to trumpet this, is because like allowing someone to to, to hear your inner story is letting someone to that sandbox. And if you find someone, maybe not feeling safe out in the community, but find someone you can start to talk about this, it's like you're letting that person in. And they're not only coming in just to be kind to you and show empathy to you, but they're coming into that sandbox to say, hey, I want to help you, or we can let other people in, or we can even expand the sandbox or get out of it or whatever. And so it's like, they're bringing a sense of training and education, compassion, empathy to that, that is just, it's it's hard to find. And so that is a beautiful step, a beautiful start to someone saying, hey, I want to deal with this trauma because I'm tired of um, feeling, acting, doing these things and allowing that person in there, that relationship as everything I've read, everything I experienced is just so vital. And so maybe that therapist can be that person that can open that up and bring that trust back to that, that yeah. place too. That's cool. And some, yeah, sometimes the therapist is the first time or the first person people let in, you know, and we get to model that safety and healthy boundaries and things like that. But when it goes outside of the therapy office, that's when the magic happens. Yeah. It's really cool. And the nice thing is as a therapist that you're, um, you're in trouble if you say anything, so I can say whatever that's, I want to you. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is true. All right, guys. So we are, in our next episode, going to continue talking about this very thing. And if Brock were going to do EMDR with someone over the bullying, um, kind of what that would look like and how his experiences growing up have played out or impacted his marriage. So stay tuned. And we will talk with you soon. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.